What we're talking about in a new series of messages is what if. What if there is no absolute truth out there? Think about that for a moment. I know it's a little deeper than, you know, butterflies and rainbows that we'd like to talk about on a Sunday morning and how to feel good and eight ways to a happy home. But and then we'll have those messages some other time. But I want to talk a little deeper for the next couple of weeks. I want to go deeper in the sense that I want us to to look at it not so much from the Christian point of view, but I want to look at it from a skeptic's point of view. I want to take, and some of y'all are in this room that are coming from different faiths. Some, I meet you week after week, first time here. Maybe, maybe you've been here several times. We have Hindu families that come. We have Muslim people who come. We have people who are skeptics and they're sitting there on the same seat next to you right now and you know who you are. That you're like, okay, I'm here because I, would, I have a drug problem. I was drug here and that's why I'm here, period. And, uh, and so whatever, wherever you want to categorize yourself and why you're here, I want to ask you, what is truth? Is there truth out there? Is truth relative or is it absolute? And I want you to chew on that for a while because that's a question that for some, it's a stupid question. It doesn't even need to be asked, but it's out there and it has to be asked because it's being propagated that there isn't absolute truth. I'm going to, up on the front end, tell you I have a presupposition and I come to the table today believing that there's absolute truth. Now, I've tried to divorce a whole lot of my uh, baggage that I've collected along the way, and I have tried to look at it objectively, but I really come down on the fact that every time I have two apples and I put them with two other apples, it always equals four as much as I try to make it something else, okay? So there are, there are elements out there that are absolute. And so if there's absolute out there, then maybe there's absolute truth, absolute faith, absolute reality. So I want us to be thinking about that for a few moments today because we live in a day ever since the French uh, Revolution, ever since Enlightenment, ever since the 1700s, we have had a slow denigration, a slow fade away from there being absolute truth. During the Enlightenment, all moral objective truth was put on the altar. Everything that was traditional was put on the altar. Everything was made suspect and questioned. Now, that happened over in France. That's what you expect from France, right? Uh, You know, you expect that kind of different thoughts. But it has filtered its way. It's made its way through the water systems over to American soil. And it's in our classrooms now. We call it tolerance. We call it moral relativity. We call it um, uh, situational ethics. We call it those things of political correctness that we don't want to offend. We don't want to overstep bounds. And at the same time, I want to propose to you that there is a truth. There is truth and we need to figure out what that truth is and we need to bite down on it. One of the greatest thinkers that America produced in the 20th century is a guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer. He was born in Pennsylvania and moved uh, in the late 1940s to Europe and began to do a teaching kind of uh, circuit through Switzerland and Germany and the parts uh, of Europe. And he began to see things happening and unfolding in Europe that weren't yet happening in America. He talks about that in, in one of his writings and he explains the heart and the mind of the 1940 European young 20-something. And I want to read the statement that he made. And now, as he makes this statement, I, I propose that I believe this is a statement that could be descriptive of our own generation in which we are raising or which we are living in. I've been impressed, he said, that many of the non-Christian students whom I have met 
on the continent, uh, 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 not only do not believe in anything, but do not even feel capable of making the judgment necessary not to believe in anything. I was a little deep, but keep following with it. It is a lack of belief in certainty, even beyond that of materialistic atheism. To them, the world is a mass of flying, unrelated particles. They They feel upon them the necessity of running away and standing still at the same time. What a, what a statement to end on. To them, the world is a mass of flying, unrelated particles. They feel upon them the necessity of running away and standing still at the same time. We're just particles. We're just here and we're moving and we're standing still and we're going and we're not going. What is truth? What is reality? Is there something out there that we can really stake our claim in? Over the next three weeks, I want to share messages that I think build on each other that lead to, I think, a pretty solid conclusion of something that should totally shape your faith. And I will say this, that if these three conclusions that I'm going to present to you over the next three weeks, if they fall apart at any one level, everything falls apart. And that we are all in a different boat and we all need to close the doors on this building and go out and do something else. So I may not convince you if you're here and you're a skeptic or you're a seeker. And I really, I don't say skeptic in a negative sense. I say a skeptic is a person who is seeking truth. They may be skeptical of what is in front of them. They may be skeptical of what I'm saying. They may not believe what I'm saying and what I'm proposing. But I want to say to you that if we as believers in Christ don't have something solid to bank our life on, then we need to go find something else. All roads, do they all lead to heaven? They all lead to paradise? Or is there one road? There has to be something that we are going to have to grapple with over the next few weeks. But I want to say this, our culture struggles in this area. Our culture, our teenagers, our next generation, they are struggling to understand what truth is. Again, because of moral relativism, because of situational ethics, because of political correctness, because of tolerance, because of all this that we're, we're ingraining our children with, there's a breakdown in what truth is. Listen to some street interviews of just some random people and how they view truth.
Everybody's definition of truth is different. All right. So then, if truth is relative, right, and you, and you have your truth, yeah. and I have mine, and you have yours, yeah. how do we figure things out? There's no standard. There's no standard. There's no way. No one's out there that's high enough or anything to say, okay, this is truth. You got to run by this. You know? Like, people say the Bible's true. Like, people will go and worship it and say it's true, but I really don't see any, like, real proof that it's true, that, like, that Jesus Christ was living and that all that went on like the crucifixion what was it crucifixion, crucifixion. yeah all that stuff I don't hell I, yeah I don't get how people can believe in God you know when <laughs> nobody's ever seen him I'm sure if you believe in something a lot you can prove it like if someone is very strict on their belief then they can definitely prove it I'm pretty sure or it's false or you come if, you, if there's two people arguing about something about you know if it's truthful or not then one of them has to win Hopefully, in that you know conversation. So yeah, there's an absolute truth. I think. In your opinion, there's there's nothing that is true that is beyond your understanding. No, I wouldn't say that. What would you say? I would say that I carry around my truths with me wherever I go, and sometimes I come in contact with other truths that I think are more true than my truths, so I adopt other people's truths. Does that make sense? So you can see some of these teenagers are like particles floating around. They don't know whether to go or run. The struggle is, is what is truth? And can we, is there truth out there that we can sink our teeth in, base our life on, build a faith on, that we can raise our children in, that we can develop a society in? And I think that's the struggle, that's the tension that's in this world that subtly is being eroded away. Yet at the same time, if you go to the halls of academia, if you go to universities, they will tell you that this is the pathway to truth. In fact, I studied six different universities and their slogans or their mottos or their creeds And six of major universities around the United States, all of them share a common creed. In fact, I will say this after reading through all the various creeds of the universities yesterday online. The number one one that came through was the one that I'm about to share with you. And that is that many of them believe that this is the statement that truth shall set you free. That's the statement they go off of at John Hopkins University. In fact, SM, SMU, the, the, the little mace there, that's, uh, that before any academic uh, service is observed, before graduation, you have the, the provost who will walk down the aisle and he'll carry the mace. And engraved on that mace is the truth shall set you free. This is a beautiful statement that Jesus made. In fact, if you go to the University of Texas, any Longhorn fans in the house today? All right. A couple, maybe, all right. Uh, listen, all right, there's a few. Uh, there was a few in the last service. Some of them claim it, some of them didn't claim it. Here's the, here's the thing about that. The, the sad thing is, is that on the library at the University of Texas has this engraved, but nobody that goes to the University of Texas knows that because they don't go to the library. And so think about that. Sorry. Uh, that was easy. The truth shall set you free. Universities want it. You want it. I want it. Jesus talked about it. But the statement alone is not complete. 
The statement alone is not complete in most of the universities. Only the University of Tennessee has the same motto, uses the full statement that Jesus made. It's not that the truth shall set you free. It says this before that, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth. There's, there's a knowledge, there's an awareness, there's a, there's a cognitive connection with truth. And when you know truth, that truth will be what will set you free. Now, again, please bear with me. This is not philosophy class, but yet there's a little bit of philosophy going on here, just as Jesus was using philosophy with his listeners. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. He has a mix of new believers mixed in with some Jewish uh, uh, strong-arm Pharisees in the mix. You'll see them kind of interacting in this passage of Scripture. But you'll find where Jesus actually gives this reference that so many universities want, that we want, that I want to propose to you today that we have got to figure out what truth is. And if we have truth, then truth will set us free. And uh, if you look at this passage, you find in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, right prior to this, verse 30, it says this, and as, uh, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So literally, some are brand new followers of Jesus. And then he goes into the next verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, brand new first conversation out of it. He says, if you abide in my word. You are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered to him and they were, we are the offspring of Abraham. Notice this arrogant statement that comes through here. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. What? You're under Roman domination right this very moment. What do you mean? Babylon? Well, you forgot that one already. And what about Assyria and Persia? And what about those, those, those times of exile? Yes, you have been enslaved many times. Verse 34, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you. Again, you're going to see him say, truly, 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 I say to you again and again and again. We'll come back to that in a little bit. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So he just takes it to a spiritual level. He says, not only have you been enslaved politically, but you are also enslaved in your spirit if you have sinned. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He connects himself to the verse that we just read about truth, to the verse we just read about freedom. If the son, him being the son, sets you free, you are free Indeed, never let anybody tell you, as some will espouse today, that Jesus didn't know that he was God and that it was the disciples or the early church or some cult, Constantine or something like that, that decided later on that Jesus was God. Listen, Jesus knew who he was. The problem is, is that many of us, some of us, many people throughout the ages have not understood who he is, but he knew who he was. So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because, listen, why do you kill me? Why do you want to kill me? Because my word finds no place in you. 
Now, this is a very key phrase because if you remember what we just read a few moments ago, it says, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples. And when you're my disciples, you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, what happens then? Then you're set free. You see the linear argument that he's giving here? If you know, if you are in the word and the word is in you and it's abiding in you. But listen, you're trying to kill me because why? Because there's no place for my word inside of you. I speak that I have seen with my father. And you do what you have heard from your father. As we look at this passage, I want us to consider today. And yes, I'll say it again. I am proposing that there is absolute truth out there. I am proposing that there is one central truth and that we need to understand what that truth is. And when we understand what that truth is, when we know truth, truth will be what sets us free. Free from whatever is binding us. Free from our own brokenness. Free from our own sin, as he points out here, if we know the truth. The problem is, is some of us have not settled on the truth. Some of us waffle on the truth. Some of us play games with the truth. We play games with Jesus, play games with the church. We play games with following him. And we don't really lock lock into the fact of who he is and who he said he is. So I want, to kind of, I want to rest on two arguments today on who Jesus is. Because, because we can't even go to Easter and we can't even really talk about Good Friday and we can't really go there until we understand who we're dealing with here. Are we dealing with just a good guy? Are we dealing with a raging lunatic who's trying to deceive people away? Which I will propose that in a few moments. So listen up. Number one, two arguments. Number one, we find truth in his words. That's big. What is said, what comes off his lips were powerful, truthful statements. For the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So if you want to get down to it, there are many religions in the world, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Three of the major religions of the world will point to a guy named Moses as a predominant prophet of God. At the same time, when we look to Moses as a great prophet of God, we do not see him as the Messiah, the Son of God. He is not God. Where Islam, they would say that Jesus is like with Moses, is like with Muhammad, is like he's just a prophet. He's, the, he's, not, he's not a God. He's not. But listen, what we're learning about Jesus from the Gospel of John is that Jesus is how we get grace and how we get truth. And when you look at the words of Christ, even prior in John chapter 8 and verse 14, he said, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Now he's saying this about him and you and I can both say, Hey, I'm telling you the truth. And so how does this really give a skeptic any kind of assurance? Hang with me on this because he says this again and again and again, he's assuring us that what I'm saying here is absolutely the truth. He says it to all of his followers. He says it multiple times. I'm not even going to read through all the passages of Scripture, beginning in Luke 4:25. In the truth, I tell you, in truth, I tell you, I tell you truly, truly I say to you, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. It, it, it is advantage that I go away. So again and again, he comes back and he says, the words that are coming from my lips, 
They are truth. There is something solid, substantive out there that you can hang your hat on. Listen, and this is something that the crowds were able to see. This is something that the masses were able to see. And this is something that those up close to him were able to see. Now, there's a difference there. Now, there's a very important difference there. If you're into apologetics or understanding or defending the faith, this is an important concept, that there was a massive amount of people that surrounded around Jesus and hung on to his words because the words that he spoke were true and they were powerful. Let me give you a verse. In John chapter... Um, Uh, excuse me, in Luke chapter 4, verse 36, it says, and they were all amazed and said to one another, this is the masses, what is this word? With authority and power that commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So here, just imagine with me for a moment, everyone in this room all agreeing that, listen, that man Jesus who showed up at Grace Point Church, he has power that Mike doesn't have, that no other speaker has ever had. He's able to speak and, and all of a sudden demons respond to him. There's something different about his, his words. They're true and they're powerful. And then you go up close to Peter. Now, again, if you're going to fool somebody, fool somebody at a distance. But when you get really close to somebody, they'll smell you out. What, what, what do they say? They say you can impress somebody at a distance, but you impact them up close. Peter was given an out. He was given a chance to walk away and not be with Jesus any longer. And what did he say? Where are we going to go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. So those who followed him, those who were close to him, those who were around him listened to his words. They believed his words. His words had authority behind them. But even those that were not in agreement with him, those who wanted to kill him, Jesus spoke truth even to them. In John 8, 40, a few verses after the main passage that we read, you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. John 8, 45, I tell the truth that you do not believe me. I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? When Jesus was on trial in the last days and hours of his life, he stood before the ruler Pilate. And as he stood before Pilate, he was having to give a defense for himself. And you see this interchange that goes between he and Pilate. Now listen to the words that he spoke to Pilate. And Pilate then said to him, so you are a king. Almost in mockery, Jesus said, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear Witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. Now, again, I may be asking a question today that you're not even asking. Is there truth out there? Is there absolute truth out there? Let it be something that you rest on, that you build your faith on. Because right here, Jesus said, I came to bear witness, to speak of the truth, to be the truth. I am here and those who follow me are witnesses of truth. Now notice Pilate's response. What is truth? What is truth? We live in a day where that same question is being asked. 
What is truth? What's truth to you? All roads lead to heaven. Your truth is my truth, maybe different truths. So what's really truth? And yet right in front of Pilate himself on this day is standing the very one who claims to speak truth. Is the very one who came to bear truth. And yet he has truth looking at him eyeball to eyeball and he's still not getting it. It's still washing right over him. What is truth? So I want to propose to you this. If Jesus isn't telling the truth, then he is a liar. All right, let's put it down. Let's narrow it down. If you're a skeptic today, I'm going, to put, I'm going to put fuel in your fire. If you do not believe the words of Jesus, then he must be a liar, right? He must be a liar. He must, what he's saying cannot hold water. What he's saying must not be verifiable. What he's saying and what people said about him, that must not be true. He is a liar and he is deceiving people around him. Could be. People have studied him for a long time. Let me tell you about William Leakey, who's a great, uh, great, great Britain's one of their most famous historians in the last century. Not a believer, mind you, not a believer. Let me try to read his quote to you. It was reserved for Christianity to present to the world an ideal character, which through all the changes of 18 centuries has inspired the hearts of men with an impassioned love. So let me just stop right there and just say, before I read on, he's saying, listen, I may not be a Christian, but I can tell you this, that there's something about Christianity that they got the real thing. They got something that for 18 centuries, it's survived and it has inspired love, impassioned love. It has shown itself capable of acting on all ages and nations and temperaments and conditions and has not only been the highest pattern of virtue. It's not a lying religion. It's a truthful religion. But the strongest incentive uh, incentive, uh, to its practice, the simple record of these three short years, life of Christ, of an active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind You can go on and read. There has been more through the life of a truthful, honest individual named Jesus to do more for good than anybody else. Jesus cannot be a liar and be a good teacher. People will accept him as a good teacher, but then if he's a good teacher, if he's a moral example, then, then he can't be a liar. So he must be telling the truth. Okay, then he's a lunatic. Jesus is a lunatic. He's a crazy man. He's schizophrenic. He thinks he's something that he's not. Listen, if Jesus was that, if Jesus was a little off his rocker, if his elevator didn't go all the way to the top, if there were some problems in Jesus' cranium, then I would imagine that there would probably be all of one, two, three, maybe a handful of people who would be willing to follow him, let alone thousands, let alone an entire movement that would come out of this. He must not have been a lunatic. He must have had something about him that was so unique and so incredible that it was life-changing. Clark Pinnock said it like this. It was, was he deluded about his greatness, his paranoid, a, 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 an unintentional deceiver, a schizophrenic? Again, the skill and the depth of his teaching, the support, the case only of total mental soundness. If only we were as sane as he 
Only if we were his bride and understanding. Listen, the rich would follow him, the educated would follow him, the uneducated, the poor, the sick, the, 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 the religious, the centurions would follow him. What is it about that? That we don't understand that he was a person of truth. He had to be the Lord, the Lord of all. His words give evidence to truth. We've got to have truth because if we have truth and it's abiding in us, then we're his disciples. If we're his disciples, we will have truth and the truth will set us free. Let's talk about the second argument for Jesus being truth, and that's his person. That's who he is. As a character, as an individual, as somebody that I can get behind. See, truth is not a philosophy. It's not an opinion. It is a person, and it's built on a person. So when we used to live in in, in Zambia, uh, I came across this article. It was stuffed back in the closet of a, of a missionary's home. And, and it was a really fun, interesting story to, to pull out and to read. I want to I show you. When Gerber Baby Food made it to South Africa many, many, many years ago, and some of y'all maybe work for Gerber, so you can go back and research this yourself. But when it first made it to South Africa, it didn't sell. And they didn't know why. It was such a hit in America. It didn't sell, it didn't sell there. And they had to really get in and understand the culture and understand the worldview And they found out it was because there was a baby's face on the bottle. And that to the Africans, it meant there was a baby inside the bottle. And so to eat the baby food would be to eat the baby. And so it was a little gross, okay? So they had to understand that, though. And so I want to say this. Listen, when you look at Jesus and you hear Jesus, he's a good moral teacher and all that kind of stuff. Where did that come from? It came from the essence of who he was. Listen, I can stand up here and espouse truth all day long, but my character be, uh, be a wreck over here. Listen, Jesus' words were true, but his character matched it. His character was impeccable. They couldn't find any fault. They did everything they could. They had a kangaroo court and put him on it. They had everything against him. They did everything wrong according to the Jewish laws of of, of justice. They did everything wrong to crucify him. And they said, I find no fault in him. And then finally they gave up and said, you do with him what you will. So he was never even convicted of a wrong. They couldn't find a wrong. His character was true. John chapter 14, verse 6. When the disciples were in the upper room and it was literally hours, hours, minutes away from his crucifixion, Jesus speaks to Thomas and he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know when I hear that and you hear that, 
There seems like really exclusive. It doesn't seem tolerant. It doesn't seem inclusive. It seems very narrow-minded. And in a day of moral relativism, in a day when there's not objective, and when there's not objective truth, in a day when there's no absolute truth, we get real offended by that. It really brussels, gets, gets under our skin. But in reality, when it is truth, we just have to adjust to truth. Truth doesn't adjust to us. And he said, I am the way. I am the life and the truth. And some people don't like that because that means that, that eliminates all these other religions. I know it's not about religion. It's about this person, Jesus. And it's, it is about him. But don't see it as if Jesus is like trying to ostracize everybody else. See it as if Jesus is trying to include everyone because he's trying to say, listen out there, make sure everyone knows that I am the way that I'm the truth, that I'm the life. Don't be ambiguous. Don't be laissez-faire. Think about it for a moment. If somebody comes to you and they just have this tragic accident and all of a sudden they're bleeding and they're with you and they have a, they have a family member bleeding and maybe they're well and they're saying, hey, how do I get to the nearest hospital? What are you going to do? Well, there's a vet clinic just down the street. You might try that out. They really do good putting dogs down, you know. Or, or hey, listen, Duct tape at Home Depot right now is in the bulk and you can buy it and you can bandage them back together that way. Oh, I mean, I, I know I'm being ludicrous here, but I'm trying to make a point to say this, is that whenever you need truth, you want to go to the absolute solid truth, something you can bank your life on and all eternity on. Give them Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by, 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 by Him. You know, Jesus in His last prayer, truly the Lord's prayer is John, 7, John 17. Not our Father which art in heaven. That's the model prayer. But when Jesus was truly praying for His followers, He prayed in John 17. He said, God, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I'm going to put myself on the altar. I'm going to put myself on the cross. I'm going to put myself out there that they, purpose clause, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Truth makes us whole, makes us complete. Truth connects us with God Almighty. Truth changes things. Truth gives meaning and purpose. Truth makes our life whole and complete. I close with a story of a guy I love to read, a Catholic father who has gone to be with the Lord. His name is Henry Nowen. Very contemplative writer. And he tells a story of, of a family in Paraguay. How a father was a doctor in the community, a leader in the community. But he spoke out against the military regime that was uh, dominating the country against human rights abuses. The local police took it upon themselves to go and arrest their, the doctor's teenage boy. And what brutal, you can do something to, to me and that will hurt. You do something to my kids and it just hurts five times more. Takes his teenage boy, burns him with cigarettes, electroshocks him, beats him, 
ends up killing him. Then the cops call and say, hey, come down and pick up your boy. So he goes down and he picks up his boy and there was almost going to be a riot in the community because everybody respected the doctor and picks up his boy on the bloody mattress, takes him home. Everyone was ready to start an uprising town of the injustice and the nastiness and the and the and the and again the barbaric acts of the of the government and and just to start a revolt that might lead to a coup. And he said, No, 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 we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. I want to take my boy. Now why he thought about this and how he did this, I don't know. He took his boy with all the wounds and all the scabs and all the burns and all the beatings and on the bloody mattress. He put him out so everyone could see the injustice. So everyone could see the filth and hoping that that would inspire, hoping that that would bring redemption. In two weeks, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. We're going to commemorate. We're going to look at the death of a man named Jesus who was the way, the truth, and the life, who hung on a cross in the public square, who who was beaten and bruised, and it doesn't make sense. There was an injustice of that. But he came that you and I might have truth, that you and I might be set free, you and I might be held. But you know what? We're going to have to go through the cross before we can experience the truth. We're going to have to go through the blood and the shame and the guilt before we can experience the freedom. Because because if you sin, as we read, you're held captive. But if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. I want to challenge you. As we move into these days, if you're a believer, I want to challenge the believers first. I want to challenge the believers as we move from this week to next week to next week. I want your heart to be being prepared for the beauty, the power, and the tragedy, and the gruesomeness of the crucifixion and the resurrection. I want to start now, you to turn your heart and reflect and remember what your Savior, my Savior, has done for us. If you're a skeptic in the room, I welcome you with open arms. If you're a doubter in this room, I welcome you. I hope that you will journey with us for as long as possible. But I hope that you will look into the injustice of the cross and see beyond the injustice and see the person who came to give truth and to give freedom doing an injustice so that we could have a new life, a better life, a free life in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? If there were no truth, if there were no absolute truth is an absolute contradiction in itself. Truth is here. What we do with it, how we respond to it, how we accept it, or how we reject it is up to us. We can argue with it all day long, but I want to say this. 
Jesus didn't come to be mean and isolationist or anything like that when he said, I'm the way, I am the truth, I'm the life. He wanted to make a pathway so clear that nobody in this room or beyond the sound of this recording would miss with the clarity that is necessary that Jesus is our Savior. If you're here today, you might be just right where you're at, just right here, right now, just say, Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to believe you. I want to follow you. I want your words to abide in me, that I can be your disciple, and that as I'm your disciple in your word, that your word, I mean, in your truth, that your truth will set me free. I'm not going to play Christian games any longer. I want truth. I want freedom. I want you, Jesus. Tell him that in your words. Father God, we bow before you and we ask that you would awaken the doubter. You would awaken the complacent that you would enlighten the doubter. And that, Lord, you would breathe life into our life, truth into our lies, freedom into our slavery. Thank you, Jesus for being the way, the truth, and the life.